Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the COVID-19 Scam Prevention Teletown Hall. My name is Tasha Berner Horvath, and I'm honored to serve as a State Assembly member for Encinitas, Carlsbad, Oceanside Vista, and Camp Pendleton. We all know we're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. The governor declared a state of emergency at the beginning of March, and I was proud in March uh, to uh, vote to fund $1.1 billion for California's coronavirus response. And it's really reassuring that as we look at the coronavirus response and the funding votes that we've taken, they have been bipartisan and unanimous. I think that's really important. We've been really done a great job at flattening the curve. And that's why I think when we look at some of the scams that are coming around COVID-19, it's really disappointing to see that there are some bad apples really trying to take advantage of the most vulnerable during these times. Um, But that's why we need to continue to be committed uh, to working together to address this. Um, And so when I look at that, I am so happy to have joined, joining me today for our Teletown Hall is San Diego County District Attorney Summer Steffen and Deputy District Attorney Brendan McHugh to discuss which financial scams to look out for in the time of COVID-19, how to protect yourself and your family from falling victim to a variety of scams and fraud schemes circulating right now, and we'll kind of get to a couple of them, and what to do if you suspect that you have been scammed. Um, So before we get started, I want to let you know how our Teleton Hall works. Um, And so both of our guests will talk a little bit about their work in preventing financial fraud, the role of the DA in protecting the public during the COVID-19 pandemic, and a few of the common questions and concerns they're hearing from San Diego. Afterwards, we'll ask some questions that you, our listeners, have submitted via email. Remember, if you would like to submit a question, you could do it by sending an email to assemblymember.bernerhorvath at assembly.ca.gov. That's assemblymember.b-o-e-r-n-e-r-h-o-r-v-a-t-h at assembly.ca.gov. You can still submit those questions. My staff's taking them. They're sending them over to me live as we're on this teleton hall. Um, to make sure that everybody in the panel can be heard, participants are at listen mode, so send in that email if you have a, a question that we haven't addressed yet. And if your question is not asked today, my staff will follow up with you directly, and we'll make sure to have, uh, let you know um, if we can answer them in our future teleton halls or give you an answer um, to them per email or call. So I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves, tell you a little bit about their background and expertise, and how they're working to protect San Diegans. We'll start out with the San Diego County District Attorney, Summer Steffen. Well, thank you for having me for this town hall, and what a great idea, Assemblymember uh, Bernard Horvath, because as we know that in times of crisis, there's so much uncertainty and that adds to the daily anxiety of our community and the losses. And so the more communication during crisis, the better. So I'm very excited to be here and to share some information. Um, the San Diego District Attorney, which I'm, I'm honored uh, to lead as the District Attorney, is the lead prosecution agency in the uh, whole county that covers the district of the assembly member and the entire county of San Diego from the border of Mexico to the border of Riverside. We serve 3.3 million plus 
uh, people with a variety of uh, neighborhoods and communities and cultures and languages, and it makes our region such a thriving region. We also have uh, 1,100 employees that are distributed north, south, east, central, uh, that serve the community kind of in a localized way in uh, near the communities that they serve. And I'm very proud of those members, and many of them uh, can handle all sorts of general crimes, but then we have some true experts in a variety of crimes, like I'm very proud to have with me Brendan McHugh, who will uh, speak later, who leads our cash t uh, task force. And that's the, the Internet task force, the crimes uh, task force, the cyber crimes task force that deals with a lot of the hardest uh, scams and issues that involve computers and com uh, involve scammers, and he'll talk about that. And with that expertise, we're able to address community concerns. One thing that I want to say right up front is sometimes we've heard from victims of crime that somehow they think that law enforcement and the DA's office, because of the stay-at-home orders, um, because of the shutdowns, that we are not working. And I want to assure them that we are on duty every day and night, and if, if anything, we're working harder than ever to serve the community needs sometimes in a different way because of the way the communication is going and because of the health concerns. We've been able to transform some of our victim services. Our victim services serves 12,000 victims annually um, to remote, to using different apps to be able to see and hear and help victims fill out applications and uh, get restitution and get help, uh, sadly sometimes get burial services because unfortunately crime does continue in the time of COVID. And what we want to make sure is that we don't, uh, we're dealing with a health epidemic, but that we are not dealing with a safety uh, pandemic. So that's what we're focused on, everything from the scams that we're going to be talking about today to domestic violence, to human trafficking, to Internet crimes against children, to all sorts of cyber uh, crimes and fraud that we are addressing on a daily basis, to fake cures, to fake charities, to people who want to take the economic impact checks, uh, to, to crimes against seniors, all of these uh, variety of areas that sometimes intensify in the time of a pandemic. Pandemics and crisis bring out the best in us, but unfortunately they bring out the worst in a few of us. So I'll leave it at that, and I'm excited to be here and answer questions as we go on. And thank you, Summer. And I think, I think that's such a great way to summarize it, that our response has brought out the best in us, we have flattened the curve, and there are a few people that is, it's bringing out the worst. And I think that's a, uh, a great way to summarize it. Um, and now I'd like to turn it over for introductory uh, remarks from Deputy District Attorney Brendan McHugh. Good afternoon. My name is Brendan McHugh. 
I'm a Deputy District Attorney with the San Diego County District Attorney's Office in the Economic Crimes Division. I've been with the office since 2007, and for the past 11 years, I've been the Project Director for the CATCH High Tech Crimes Task Force. CATCH is comprised of federal, state, and local law enforcement who work collaboratively to investigate, apprehend, and prosecute crimes in which technology is used as an instrument in committing or a target of a criminal act. CATCH also provides technical and investigative assistance to local law enforcement agencies related to the seizure and analysis of digital evidence. We've been dealing with online scams since the task force began operations in 2000. And although technology has changed immensely during that time, scammers are pretty much the same. Online scammers look for vulnerable people who may be socially isolated, have unmet financial needs, uh, generally trust people in authority, and who are unfamiliar with technology. They typically manufacture a sense of urgency to get the victim to act before careful consideration. Because of the unique environment we are in currently, these vulnerabilities are widespread and very common. We need to be especially cautious in our dealings online with that in mind. COVID-19 is a worldwide pandemic for which there is no vaccine, and it will be some time before any treatment drugs are available to the general public. For now, we socially distance, wear face masks, and wash our hands more frequently than Howard Hughes at the Desert Inn Hotel in Las Vegas while we wait for medical science to meet the challenge. Many of my friends have developed extensive rituals on how groceries get into their homes. Plastic bags are discarded immediately at the door. Surfaces of all the items are wiped down with disinfectant. Uncooked produce gets a special wash in the sink, and once everything is washed and put away, everyone gets a shower and the clothes go in the wash. Once they're at their computer, however, they will click on anything. Dancing cats, links with just letters and numbers, anything. Please don't be that person. Treat the Internet with the same healthy skepticism that you have for unsolicited door-to-door salespeople with buckets of snake oil. That's, that's great. And, and uh, you delivered it very dry, but there was uh, some, some uh, very light references there. I think to Howard Hughes in Las Vegas and uh, snake oil. So uh, thank you for that, Brendan. Um, and I just want to summarize that. I think you're right, the number of people who are vulnerable right now, um, because they are, we are at home and online, has grown. And I think it's good to identify you know, what leads to those vulnerabilities so we can look for them within our family and remind them, you know, I like to call my mom and like remind her, oh, yeah, don't, that's actually a scam. So let's not, let's not go there because, and I, we will get to the, some um, questions today about how do you report fraud, but uh, that's a great overview. Um, so let's start with Destri- uh, District Attorney um, Stefan. Could you give us a brief overview of what you're doing over at the District Attorney's Office to protect the public from financial fraud during this COVID-19 pandemic? You touched on some points, but what are some really concrete things that have shifted with this pandemic? Well, we've definitely had to put more resources into the financial crimes uh, division and the economic crimes division. So we had to shift resources because uh, one of the big concerns that requires us to be the primary investigators uh, as opposed to commonly we get our reports from law enforcement are uh, things that involve price gouging, things that involve uh, medical type scams that have very complex investigations. 
Uh, so with that, we've, you know, looked at, and I'll talk more detail later, but over 300 reports, which have consumed a lot of effort, but have been uh, really important for the health of the community in terms of being able to continue to get the things that we absolutely need, the necessities, the detergents, the cleaners, the masks, the protective wear, all of those things, the uh, sanitary uh, materials that we need, all of that without being price gouged, which is illegal during an emergency. We've also had to be on high alert and go on the offense, meaning serve notices to cease and desist, but yet also go uh, and, and be proactive to prevent scams that we hear from other regions have begun or we expect uh, that those things have begun like uh, when people were starting to get their first economic impact checks, we heard about a lot of criminal rings that were beginning to call and uh, claim to be the IRS and try to get people's uh, personal identifying information. So we got ahead of it with prevention, working with the IRS, and put the word out in the community that the IRS will not be calling you to get your personal information. We worked with our health department, so we had to increase our daily contact with the health department to be their uh, active prosecution agency whenever they felt uncomfortable or suspected that something shady is going on in terms of misrepresentations to the community about testing or about cures. So they refer those things to us and we work uh, closely to make sure that our community is protected. We've also, other than scams, obviously, had to shift because of the fact that our reports of Internet crimes against children have tripled. And that's a devastating statistic because uh, of the real concern of our kids being on the Internet and being preyed upon. So those have really shifted our focus, but we've been able to manage with the resources we have and have brought a lot of prevention and uh, protection to the community in this regard. And you have, and, and it's, it's really disturbing as a mother myself to hear that Internet crimes against children have tripled during this time. I was not aware of that. Um, and with, you're right with kids on Zoom. I know my school district took a lot of security measures to make sure that the kids were on safe Internet connections, and now I know why. Um, but, and I also want to give a, you and your office a shout-out. I think you were one of the first DAs in the state to prosecute somebody for price, price gouging right at the beginning of this pandemic, and I think it's led to less price gouging locally here subsequently. Is that right? Well, it was very nice to you. Don't often hear the governor give you a shout out, but it's a shout out to the team that has worked on it. And, you know, 78 uh, immediately went out, 78 cease and desist letters. Um, and I think they really brought the community's attention so that the next time we visited businesses, they already had their paperwork ready to show that um, the fact that they were charging more came based on the supply chain. Because the way the price gouging law works is that 
Um, you cannot charge during an emergency more than 10%, whether it's for uh, housing, rent, food, uh, necessities. You can't do that. Toilet paper, uh, unless you can show that it, your supply chain has gone up and then you're, you're charging that 10% over that supply chain. And so we saw that businesses were already ready uh, to show us that, that they were not bad actors and that they were complying. And anyone who wasn't um, immediately took action and stopped, um, stopped the price gouging. So I do think that our efforts have been effective and we're, we're now getting less and less reports, which is good news because we, prevention is the best cure. Absolutely, and I know I think that's probably a good piece of information for those people who have kind of shifted their businesses. I have a couple of local businesses here that have shifted to selling masks and to know that you can't sell it for more than 10% over your costs unless you have demonstrated that the supply chain has increased. So that is a great piece of information also for our local businesses. Um, and, and so then now I'd like to shift to Brendan a little uh, what has your day-to-day -day been like? What kind of scams are you seeing right now? And have there been an uptick in financial fraud since the start of the stay-at-home uh, order in March? We obviously heard that they are. One of the questions we got, and maybe I'll shift this a little, Brendan. One of the questions we got is like, what were we seeing before and what are we seeing now? Are we still seeing some of the scams that were there before COVID-19 still happening? Or have they all shifted to kind of preying on on uh, people's vulnerabilities during this uh, very unique time? I don't know that there's been a massive increase in the number of cases, um, but certainly more people are on their computers more often um, with the shutdown orders and, and folks staying at home. The types of scams that we see have certainly morphed with whatever the hot topic is at, the, at any given time, whether it be the uh, stimulus payments, uh, the uh, recent uh, fake Costco text um, claiming that there was uh, free goodies as part of the stimulus uh, if you went to Costco and uh, clicking on that link inserted viruses. Um, so we're seeing, we're seeing a, a slight change to um, sort of adapt to the new mode that we're in. Um, as an example, the um, money from the government scams, um, financial aid ones are um, slightly different now um, in that, uh, as uh, Summer talked about, uh, people are um, purporting to be working for the IRS and reaching out uh, and contacting people with regard to the economic impact statements. Well, um, you know, with unemployment rate at unprecedented levels and small businesses everywhere on the brink of peril, financial strains impact everyone. Um, and that's one of the things that I talked about in, in my introduction. Um, as the thing that scammers look to get their hooks in is its financial needs. So when the government responded with economic impact payments and paycheck protection program funds and other programs to assist, scammers adapted and saw this as a huge opportunity because they know that people are financially insecure right now and there are legitimate government programs out there that they can use as their backstory. But folks should know though is that none of the legitimate government programs will require you to pay in advance to receive the government benefit. Uh, as an example of a common scam in this area uh, is the U.S. Emergency Grants Foundation. 
Uh, numerous victims received messages via social media that they could receive funds to help pay for medical bills during the pandemic. When they clicked on the link, they were redirected, however, to a website called the U.S. Emergency Grants Federation. This site collected the Social Security numbers and personal identifying information of the victims who believed they were signing up for a grant. Uh, a slightly different uh, variation on that, also deployed in social media, uh, required victims to pay advance fees, uh, purportedly to pay the withholding taxes, in order to be the recipient of government grants. Uh, often after the victim had paid out all that they had, their online social media accounts were then taken over as a means to reach out to other potential victims. So while there were scams like this predating the pandemic, uh, with the pandemic, unique things have, have come up that scammers have used to uh, create the hook they're going for. And that's really helpful. So if I could repeat, one of the things that I'm going to take away from that statement is if I ever get anybody asking me um, for my Social Security number, I can know that's not the government because all the government's never going to contact me over social media or call me up or send me an email asking me for that, correct? Correct. Great. I don't know of any, Great. any I think government that's I don't know. Of any yeah, I think I think it's good for. I'm, I'm. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Brendan. I just want to say that I, I don't know of any government agency that will ever reach out in social media um, to to ask for personal identifying information. And if anyone is contacted by someone they believe is a government agency, what they should do is then go to the government agency's website and contact the government agency directly, uh, rather than communicate with someone through social media. And so that's, I think, I always like to give good tips that I can remember, remember to give my mom and my aunt and my uncle. Um, and that is, you know, if, if anybody's asking for personal identifying information over, face, uh, over Facebook or Instagram or social media, that's not a government agency. And it's best if you think it, if, if the proposal might be legitimate is to independently verify by hanging up and then going over the end of, uh, to the, that agency's website and contacting them that way. Um, I think that's, that's great advice, about, uh, very actionable advice. Um, so that's great. Thank you both uh, for, for that really interesting information. I'm learning so much today. Um, let's go to some questions that we've received from our listeners. Um, our, this is one from, we get many calls to my district office um, regarding COVID-19 testing sites. And a lot of constituents want to get tested, but they're not sure who to trust. Um, I know we had a, a pop-up site here in Cardiff that was um, disbanded. So how do you tell if a coronavirus testing site is real or a fake site using an unapproved test? How do we know that? So I think what's, what's really important and, and is that our county, our state has done a great job and our county leaders have done a great job. And we currently, and it's going to expand, we have three state testing sites in the county that are completely free. And um, you can call and you don't have to stand in lines. You can call and make an appointment and you don't have to be sick to get tested. If you're just concerned and want to get tested, you can get tested uh, for free. 
and also the criteria and you know the number there is 888-634-1123 and if you go on the county san diego website um, you will see very prominently where those are and there uh, they are in the south and in north and central so they're conveniently located but also Physicians are, uh, and the criteria by the CDC has expanded so that there is more liberal testing. When we began, uh, the testing was really limited to people who were showing symptoms, but we, we know now that many people are asymptomatic but could be also um, have the virus. And so the CDC guidelines have expanded and uh, there's more liberal testing by uh, medical professionals, especially if you have been exposed or you believe you were exposed to someone who tested positive, then you're going to be prioritized as well by your doctor or health professional. Um, you know, there may be some legitimate pop-ups, but, you know, my my advice is to use what is already a certified a state testing location that's free or your own medical professional. I think that's great advice. And actually, we were talking in my team um, that tomorrow or over the weekend, we were going to put together a social media post to remind people that, that we have expanded who could be tested and you now don't need to be symptomatic to go in and get testing and where they could go get that done here in North County. Um, and I think that's especially important because I think as we've seen some of the measures ease up, um, we've also started to see an increase in the COVID-19 positive test rates um, here in North County. So I think that's a, a very good one to go. Again, I think it's, it's probably your mantra is go back to the original source, look at the county's website for where these testing facilities are, or talk to your doctor. Um, so that's, that's really helpful. And we'll have those numbers and that website link uh, under this recording on my website as well. Um, we've received a number of calls from constituents reporting that they're receiving emails. And I think one of you might have mentioned this in, in your introductory remarks. They've received emails or phone calls from student loan lenders offering to reduce loan interest rates or claim that they don't have to pay at all. How do you know if these offers are real? And if they're suspected as a scam, where can somebody report that? Go ahead, Brendan. I know you know this issue well. Well, I don't. I don't hear. <laughs> Sorry about that. It took me a second to unmute. <laughs> so the no problem. The, the biggest red flag on these is a requirement to pay an upfront upfront fee. And in general, I would say that's one of the big red flags um, of the vast majority of the financial scams is that uh, for something you urgently need to pay an upfront amount. Um, the urgency is the other part of it. Um, a lot of these emails will say you have to act immediately to qualify. Um, another red flag um, because we know that scammers will create this sense of urgency so that people will act before they carefully think things out. Um, if, the, if via email or uh, phone, whatever m method of communication, if they ask you for your FSA ID, username, and password, it is fraud. If you give that information out, okay. they can make changes to your account 
without your permission. And then just one of the things to you know, think about and be aware of uh, when you are receiving unsolicited uh, communication. If the unsolicited communication is full of spelling and grammatical errors, be wary because a lot of this stuff comes from outside the United States with people who don't speak English as their primary language. And so a lot of times there will be mistakes in the missive itself that will give you an indication that it's not real. And uh, ftc.gov is where people should report that if they receive it. And that was ftc.gov, is that correct? Uh, ftc.gov, the Federal Trade Commission. FTC. There you go, ftc.gov. Uh, we'll make sure to have that on the website as well. And that's really good. The takeaway there is never give out your uh, the FFSA user ID and password. I think it's a good idea to never give out your password to anything. Uh, I don't even give it to my husband. So um, that tells you probably more about me than you needed to know. But uh, you know, we keep our passwords very separate. So I think that's a good, good policy to follow. Uh, we did have a very specific question from a constituent for you guys. Um, so apparently there is, a, uh, there is a proposal from small banks that are offering to loan Airbnb owners a small loan to cover the payroll. How do you know if those are real? Have you heard about this one, or is this, could this potentially be a legitimate offer? How do you, and I, I think it's a time where all sorts of people are trying to help, so it's like how do people identify what is a legitimate offer from a non-legitimate offer, other than what you said before, which is if they're asking for upfront money, then it's probably not legitimate. If they're spelling errors, it's probably not legitimate. Have you heard of anything with the Airbnb loans? I haven't heard anything specific about that, but we do know that real estate type loans are a ripe area for uh, fraud. So I wouldn't be surprised. Um, maybe uh, Brendan has heard about something specific, but but that kind of uh, real estate where somebody's trying to offer you something, you know, I would go whatever website that. A company has created, be careful because they're now become so sophisticated that we used to tell people go on the website and see if there is a customer service or something official and and take a look at it. Also check it out with the Better Business Bureau. Check it out to make sure that it's um, legitimate. The FTC has a list of kind of fraudulent uh, already fraud alert uh, companies and what are legitimate companies. So I would proceed, like Brendan said, with suspicion and with vigilance and care and um, certainly just don't give up money up front and don't give out any personal information. That's, 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 a, really, that's a really good piece of advice there. Um, I, I think that's I think the, we, we've gotten a number of questions about very specific things from Airbnb um, to other potential scams. Uh, but we know our most vulnerable, especially those who may not be as technologically savvy, um, are at risk for financial fraud. And before the pandemic, we had done a number of senior scam stoppers, and we know seniors often fall victim to various financial scams. When seniors ask to self-isolate to protect themselves from COVID-19, many are home and experiencing loneliness. 
What new scams should seniors and their families be aware of during COVID-19 pandemic? Are there any, are there any current scams out there that direct, specifically directed at seniors? Brendan? The, the ones that, that um, I am seeing most frequently, and again, this is, these are things that were before COVID, but again, now because we're more socially isolated, I think that they're, they're, it's a larger surface area. Uh, one of them mm -hmm. is the sweetheart scams. Uh, another are the tech scams, and then variations on the grandparent scams, and I'll explain those. So with the sweetheart plant, uh, scams, uh, you know, now that we're sheltered in place and we have little or no interaction with people outside our homes, social isolation is, is commonplace. Uh, people are increasingly looking to technology for ways to interact with others and our social networks. Whether that online application is a video conference, social media site, email, or web search, we need to be mindful that scammers are out there looking for socially isolated people to victimize. So be vigilant, skeptical, and cautious about anyone you meet online. Uh, an example of a common scam in this area is a dating scam where the victim believes that they have met a potential love interest online. This can be any, any platform um, that's out there to meet people. Uh, the scammer will spend time grooming the victim with online exchanges and always has a reason they can't meet in person. Uh, particularly in San Diego, a, a common ruse is that they're uh, deployed overseas because we're a military town. Uh, but there are other things. Uh, you know, I'm stationed on an oil derrick off of Texas, or I'm volunteering in some far-off distant place helping children. Um, but the telltale piece of this is the ask. When the suspect needs money for their hungry children they're caring for, uh, some nonprofit they're working for, or maybe airfare so they can come to San Diego and meet in person finally. What they will almost always ask for is payment in cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, money transfers like Western Union or Green Dot, uh, gift cards, uh, methods of payment where um, there is no way to, to recall the money once it's been spent. And oftentimes victims of these scams will send multiple payments before realizing that they've been defrauded. Uh, the technology scams that I see, um, because more than ever we're dependent on technology for everything from entertainment. I think all of us have seen everything on Netflix and Hulu. Um, online classrooms, ordering food and keeping contact. Um, we are dependent on our technology. So these scams have been around for a long time, but there hasn't been nearly the same urgency to ensure that everything is working fine without any downtime. So be especially cautious about any unsolicited email pop-up or communication that indicates your computer has an issue that can be fixed remotely for a small fee. Uh, this scam often purports to be from Windows or it can be from a, a, another entity and indicates that your computer has a, a security issue that can be resolved by clicking on the link. The link requires the victim to enter personal identifying information, including payment for the repair, and then hand over remote access to the suspect. Once that's done, the suspect has via remote access access to your entire computer and can do whatever they want, leaving trapdoors behind them when they leave, uh, as well as access to whatever accounts that we use to pay. Um, so those are two of the big ones that I'm seeing. And then just variations on the grandparent scam where someone will reach out to um, an elderly victim and claim to be a grandchild uh, or a friend of a grandchild who is in some sort of legal trouble. Again, in our region in San Diego, it's uh, very common to say that um, they were arrested in Mexico 
can need money to be bailed out so they can come home. So different variations on that. But always there is a sense of urgency and there is almost always this unidirectional flow of money using either Bitcoin, gift cards, uh, or you know, MoneyGram type uh, transfers. Those should always be huge red flags. Uh, I think that's excellent advice. Uh, I didn't even know about some of those scams. Um, I do though remember once I was on the internet and my husband's an IT guy and I was about to click on, oh, I said, oh, my computer you know, has a problem. It's got a virus. I have to click on this. And my husband was next to me going, no, don't do it. And so I was saved. Um, so I think that is a common thing where you know, we know that there can be viruses and you click on it thinking that it's a computer notification. I think that's something um, people can easily fall for. But to know that it's the trick that they're going to ask for it to be money uh, to, to fix it is the, is the trick to know that that's not real. Um, and that's really important. So I have to say, yesterday I was on Facebook, and I saw, a, uh, I think, in one of the Carlsbad for forums, I saw a picture of a white piece of paper in uh, a protective film taped to a lamppost that said, free cure, and had like the little slips of paper with a number on it. Um, and so a lot of people have been contacted by organizations, or they're walking down the street, and they see this flyer, um, claiming to have a health product that prevents or cures COVID-19 infections. How can the public best protect themselves from believing this false advertisement? Because we know there are no cures um, and, or, or, or preventative measures for COVID-19 at this point. Well, I think that, that that's probably the main message is that you really have to look to your healthcare provider, your doctor, to uh, tell you whether there are any any measure any measures you can take to protect your health. Look on the CDC website. Look on the county health. That's the only sources of really good information. Um, and you know, people selling. We know that the federal government is prosecuting uh, someone here locally for that kind of false advertising and um, kind of a fake cure type thing. There are no known cures right now. That's what the CDC says. We would all love to have one uh, early and often, but uh, sometimes you have to be really careful because this is so ripe for people to try to make money, to take people's savings, to uh, profit off of their fear. And, um, you know, the, the, the way that this kind of prevention message works, whether it's with seniors or with anyone with vulnerabilities, is through communication. And I think this is an obvious point, but for some reason it took me a little bit to um, get a hold of it, which is that, you know, the, the idea that we're socially distanced is not really accurate. We're physically distancing, but we can very much socially make sure that um, our neighbors, our loved ones, or the seniors in our life know all this information that we may gather, that we're able to communicate with them, and that if they're in a care facility or somewhere, that we insist on being able to put eyes on using an iPad or a phone uh, to FaceTime so that you can talk to them and, and make sure they don't feel isolated and you can transmit this information about 
cures about all of the different scams that are going on and just to connect and not have them feel isolated. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Summer. Um, I, you know, what I try to do is every day I try to get, go through a couple numbers in my phone. Folks that I haven't heard for a while, just check in on them. Um, I think there is, you're right, it's, it's a physical separation. It's not uh, a social or emotional separation. And, you know, on the flip side, it's good that we do have technology that helps us be able to connect with those we love. Um, but with that said, if we could pivot a little bit to online safety tips for parents with kids using computers. You know, I know when my kids were young, I did my best to keep them off screens, and now I'm like, go on the screen. Uh, you know, go to your Zoom class. And I think, you know, with my daughter's iPad, she has a school iPad, so they have a lot of security measures on it. But I know my son, he, he does a lot of it just straight off the Internet. And, you know, my husband, as I said, is an IT guy, so we have some of those parent protections on them. But, you know, if, you have, if you're a parent of a preteen uh, or a teenager who's on the Internet a lot uh, right now, what can parents do to ensure their children are safe online? Because, you know, it was really disturbing at the beginning of this call where you said uh, Internet crimes against children have tripled. So what should parents be thinking about, or what conversations should we be having with our kids? Well, this is a really, really key, key question. And, I mean, the figures from San Diego, we have an ICAC, that's the Internet Crimes Against Children, and they track, uh, you know, child pornography and other disturbing things that are happening with kids. And um, they've received in uh, April 855 cases, and that is 300% more than the monthly average. And then, of course, I was very concerned whether this is just a San Diego figure or what is going on nationally. And we checking with the um, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, there have been 4 million uh, reports, which are again a tripling of what we're used to um, involving children. So this is such an important issue. The kids are on um, their game devices, their phones, their computers, tablets more often, and uh, parents, because they're nearby, sometimes are letting their guard down because they feel that since they're around in the house somewhere, that maybe that means the kids are safe. But it's critical that we have these conversations as uncomfortable as they are with the right age appropriate, telling children to be aware that there are predators uh, online and uh, to never send a photo of themselves, to never... Um, provide uh, information about their address or what school they go to or anything like that, to never agree to, um, to have any part of their body naked and, and share that as a joke or a, to get a small prize or any of those things, no matter how silly or harmless it might seem. Um, to establish that relationship where the child is going to come to the parent and tell them if they get a disturbing message or have an encounter that's uncomfortable. Let me tell you that the number one thing that kids fear when they do that, because I've had these little um, 
sessions with kids to learn why they don't report, why they don't say this, is they don't want their parents to take away their device. So if you have a contract with your child that if they tell you things, you're not going to take away their device. You're just going to help them make it safe and clear that predator off and get um, get them to not have this predator contacting them and build that trust relationship. There's even um, some contracts uh, online um, on our website, sandiegoda.com, where you can establish these responsibility contracts with your child, um, that would be uh, really good. So, And there's a lot of great materials, again, on our website, sandiegoda.com, but also on that federaltradecommission.gov website. I think as a parent that that's disturbing, but what I'm so appreciative of, Summer, is you've given me some concrete steps places I can go, how to talk to my child, how for that conversation to be effective. And I think before the pandemic happened, we wanted to do um, an in-person uh, uh, um, session, event, just on online safety tips for parents. And maybe we have to think about this, uh, you know, in the coming months of, of reinvigorating that with kids uh, being, you know, on, on screen so much right now, going into summer, whether they're going to have less structure to their day. And then, you know, we had Tony Thurman on last week, and I'm not sure we know exactly what next year will look like. I think everybody's kind of waiting to see how the virus spreads or, or it's contained. So maybe we might circle back and have you back on a talent town hall pretty soon just to dedicate some time to that subject because I think it's very important. And um, one of the things... Thank you so much. That would be great. Um, one of the things I think as we're closing up this Teleton Hall, one of the things I think is helpful is to talk about how do victims of financial fraud get recourse? How is it enforced? What's the compensation mechanism if there's one? So we have a couple questions on that, and uh, I'll just throw it out there in the room, and whichever one of you uh, are welcome to answer. If somebody's been a victim of financial fraud, how do they recoup any financial or property losses that happen? Is that possible? Start us off, Brendan. It's the answer is not very pretty, so that's why I'm leaving it to Brendan to answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, the, so the first part is in terms of re reporting. Um, the w one of the pieces here that uh, I would say the one of the large crime categories that it gets reported in this sector is identity theft. So the victim has given out their personal identifying information unwittingly. And now that was used to open accounts, uh, do various things in order to establish financial losses. If, if a person is a victim of identity theft, they should report that to the local law enforcement with jurisdiction in the city in which they live or where they work. And local law enforcement is required to take an ID theft report. Um, in one of those two places. Uh, so by filing a report, the case will then be investigated. Well, one of the things when I do presentations and I ask the audience, has anyone been a victim of identity theft? And maybe a handful of people will raise their hands. And then I ask, has anybody had that call from your credit card company saying, you know, did you buy whatever in Vietnam earlier today? And the answer, and almost everybody will raise their hand. 
and I, and I make the point that you've been a victim of identity theft. You just didn't report it, and so it couldn't be investigated. Um, but it's, it's important to report it so that it can be investigated. And at the conclusion of a criminal case, a restitution order can be made, um, and hopefully then the suspect will pay back the victim. The unfortunate reality, though, is a lot of this crime originates from overseas, and we are mm. unable to um, bring those people into U.S. court uh, and get restitution ordered. And then another unfortunate aspect of financial crime generally is that the people who are perpetrating this crime don't have the resources to repay the victims that they stole the money from. So I would say the first part is it's important to report it so that it can be investigated and the responsible people brought to justice um, if we can uh, put hands on them domestically. Um, and then the second part is that we can, uh, in those cases, get a restitution order. However, there is not a mechanism as there is in, for instance, real estate or uh, violent crime where there are funds that are available to compensate victims of, of these types of losses. Mm. Mm. So that's interesting. I'm on my eighth credit card, uh, or I'm on my eighth credit card because I would be the person that said I didn't use funds. Mine most recently was in Georgia. I was apparently in Georgia, which I'm not. Um, and so I wouldn't have thought about that as I did any stuff because my bank says they're going to investigate it, and then they do that. So what I need to do is I need to file that that um, identity theft uh, report. Uh, so that's good to know. That's a great new piece of information. Um, what are people, you know, we talked about a number of scams that were out there. We talked about the student debt scam. We talked talk about scams uh, related to uh, small businesses related to the PPP loan or the EIDL loan. Uh, we talked about scams related to cures for the coronavirus. If any of the people see those scams or, or people try to scam them, what should they do? What, do they call their local police department? Do they call your office directly? Who should they be contacting? Well, they, they can contact our office. We have a consumer protection division uh, that takes reports and follows up on them, especially if you, if you get two or three reports of similar conduct, then you, while one may not be uh, enough to make a case, you know, two or three then make a better case and you're able, every piece of evidence builds on itself. So I would encourage anybody to report uh, to the Consumer Protection Division. It's a very simple uh, form to fill out that helps us track these. Obviously, if something is happening right now, I don't want people to neglect that 911 still operates. If there is an emergency, use that. Um, but on our website, sandiegoda.com, there is many places with whatever the particular crime is and where you report it, whether it's for identity theft, whether it is for the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, where it's appropriate, the most appropriate place based on the crime that was committed um, to report. Uh, Brendan, do you have uh, additional advice on the best place to report? The other thing I would add to that is um, there is what's called the Internet Crime Complaint Center, or it's known as IC3.gov. Uh, the FBI uh, is what uh, funds that and staffs it. 
Uh, it is a central reporting area. So if you see an Internet-based scam, you can go to ic3.gov and fill out a report with um, all the details of what you saw and the email addresses, etc. Uh, that information is then gone through by analysts um, who then develop uh, investigative leads that they send out to either the FBI or the local law enforcement um, where um, the analysts believe that they may be able to locate a suspect. Those are great resources, and it's great. I think sometimes when you've been victimized, it feels um, reassuring to know where to go to be able to report it to, to, to seek justice. So, so that's really, really helpful. Um, you know, as we've gone through a number of questions, and thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Summer, for being so open. You've you described things that I think probably have complex details behind them in a way that I know I can understand. I have concrete actions I'm going to go take. I'm going to go talk to my children about their online, um, you know, their online contract, and and I'm going to go report an identity theft uh, with my bank, and then so I'm going to look out for those scams. I now know where to report them. I'm going to talk to my parents. Giving me a lot of action items, so I really appreciate that. Um, it's been so informative and useful. Uh, I think anybody listening would be walking away with a lot of tools to protect themselves, especially consumer protections, uh, consumer protection tools, um, and to protect themselves and their loved ones during this vulnerable time. Um, I'd like to ask Summer and Brendan, maybe we'll start with Brendan, then we can go to Summer. Um, if you have any final thoughts or resources or other things that maybe we didn't cover here that you, you'd like to get in at the last uh, closing statement. Um, I would say that sort of my um, top tips are um, everyone needs to exercise what I call basic computer hygiene. Uh, use strong, unique passwords for every account. Uh, keep your operating system and antivirus patched up and up to date. Uh, ignore unsolicited emails from senders that you don't know. Uh, only download files from people or sites that you trust. Uh, if you're asked to pay in advance for a government benefit, it's fraud. And do not give out personalized, uh, personal identifying information. Uh, the other red flag that I want everybody to have in the back of their head is anytime you're asked to make payment in cryptocurrency, like Bitcoin, transfer money via Western Union, Green Dot, gift cards, assume that's fraud because it's such a prevalent way um, for scammers to operate. Um, and treat, treat the Internet no differently than the way you treat uh, a dark alley. You know, in law enforcement, we call it situational awareness. Be aware of your surroundings. Don't trust everything just because it's on the Internet. Um, be critical and somewhat skeptical about the validity of things, especially if they look too good to be true. That's, Sorry, that's I was on mute. Um, that's, a, that's a great I, – I, I'm not sure how many points, but I would say those are Brendan's top ten flags. We might even uh, incur, like, write those up underneath because they were such, uh, so succinct and so easy to follow. Uh, so thank you, Brendan, for that. Summer, any final closing comments? Uh, you know, final is just to really watch out for the kind of the, the one uh, big trend that we're seeing because people need jobs is these um, social media solicitations for work 
that turn out to be a fraud because people are so anxious to get a job. We have one that's going right now where um, uh, the scammer solicited um, a job of transporting money from uh, San Diego to Los Angeles, and when the person arrived, they basically stole their car and took it into Mexico. We have 17 victims so far at a tune of a half a million okay. dollars. So it's just a good reminder that uh, to also view any any offer of a job very carefully. And if you have to meet someone like that's not a legitimate known company because you want the job, uh, meet at a police station, in front of a police station, somewhere where you can be protected. Uh, bring a friend or someone with you, and uh, but really be careful out there because we're going to see more offers for uh, jobs that are not legitimate that may end you being victimized. Well, that's... that's uh... Horrendous. I'm so glad you brought that up for people to be aware of because I think you're right. I think, you know, you are going to start seeing uh, there's a lot of people on unemployment. A lot of people are going to start wanting to go out um, and start working. And I've seen a couple of social media posts where it says, I'm looking for a job. I want to remind uh, everyone there's um, onwardca.org. It's a list of jobs currently available throughout the state of California. You can enter your zip code. We have jobs here in the 76th Assembly District as well. So, uh, let, you know, go to trusted sites and, and be careful about the scam because that, I think, uh, I think that's a very dangerous thing. And, um, you know, it is uh, financial fraud, and thank God it's not more than that. Uh, I really want to thank both of you for joining us today. Summer, I know your schedule is super busy. You said you've been busier now than you were before the pandemic. Thank you and Brendan and your teams for all your hard work at keeping San Diego safe. Um, it was great for you to be with us and help inform our, our constituents, but we also make this available on our website. And so in a day or two, we'll, we'll post a link on, on my Assembly Member Facebook page with the link to the site. You can also go to a76.asmdc.org. That's a76.asmdc.org. And on that site, you will find... Under my newsroom, you will see our teletown halls and our podcasts, um, and you can make sure we and we'll make sure we list out all the resources you guys have provided today, and maybe we'll include Brendan's top tips um, uh, to keep people safe. So, if you have, I want to remind all our constituents: if you have any questions or issues, whether it's financial fraud or if it's unemployment insurance, and you're having struggles, figure out how to, how can we help. My team is uh, there to assist you. My district office number is 760-434-7605, or you can email assemblymember.bernerhorvath at assembly.ca.gov. All those go to my district team, and we are happy to serve you. Please watch your inboxes and social media for my next Teletown Hall. Stay safe, stay healthy, and wash your hands like Lady Macbeth, North County. Thank you so much, everyone. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us.